welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. It is great to be with you today as we continue this new series on the Old Testament book of Jonah, using Pastor Tim Keller's uh, book called Rediscovering Jonah as a Guide. And I hope you'll continue to join me in prayer that in the coming weeks that God would not only inform us, but through his word, transform us. That the whole goal of getting through God's word is that God's word would get through us, in us, pouring out through us. We're praying for transformation, and that's my prayer on this Pentecost Sunday as we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit in that very special way that we have the presence of the Holy Spirit right now, and that God wants to speak to you, transform you, uh, change you, shape you as we hear his word. And so let's enter into this space with that heart and expectation in mind. I'm going to be talking about primarily verses three and four. If you want to have your Bibles open, uh, if you're taking notes as well, always let me know. I can send you some of my notes if that is helpful. Um, but as we look at these verses, I want to highlight a few things as we go along. In verse three, the text says that he, Jonah, went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Now, let me give you an example. God told Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh. He's like, you know, Jonah, come here. And Jonah's like, yes, Lord. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, so you want me to go that way? And God's like, yes. So Jonah says, okay, I'm going this way. So it's basically what Jonah did. He did exactly the opposite of what God asked him to do. Jonah is trying to sail 3,000 miles away from where God wants him. That's Jonah's goal. Now, Joppa was a well-known port city. It was about 30 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Now, whether he walked on foot or rode an animal from, let's say, Jerusalem to Joppa, Jonah had some time to think about his disobedience, perhaps even days to think about his refusal to follow God. So this wasn't a sin committed in the moment. It was a deliberate choice to move away from the Lord. Now, often sins are not impulsive. Look at your own life. But it's a long and slow and deliberate move away from the will of God. Think of your own life. Most of your sins and my sins aren't the spur-of-the-moment thing. <laughs> They're long, slow, and decisive moves. Now, in our story, Joppa is a place where Jonah begins his journey to run away from Tarshish, to run away because of his own sin and self-centeredness. And he's running from preaching to the Ninevite outsiders. God, those people don't deserve your love and mercy. I don't like the way they vote. I don't like their food. I don't like their language. Whatever you want to say. Jonah's like, I don't think they deserve your mercy, God. So I'm going to run this way because I know better than you, right? That's what Jonah's doing. Those are the Ninevite outsiders. I'm going to go this way. And yet, as he disobeys from the city of Joppa on his journey to Tarshish, 900 years later, Joppa would be a place known in the book of Acts where the apostle Peter 
filled with the Spirit, gets this vision of God saying, don't call those other people unclean. Don't call those other people unreachable. In the very same city where Jonah disobeyed, running away from those people, God, by the Holy Spirit in Jesus, has Joppa be a new place where Peter receives a vision to share the gospel to the outsiders, to the Gentile outsiders. Isn't it amazing how with God, he can redefine places of sin, redefine places of self-centeredness, places of disobedience, into new places of forgiveness, new places of God being pleased, new places and seasons of possibility in the Spirit. That's what the Bible says. Joppa was a place where a former prophet of God disobeyed, but Joppa will now be a place known for the apostle of God running towards God's will, running towards those who haven't heard the gospel. See, when Jesus gets involved, the very places of disobedience can be redefined as seasons of possibility in the spirit. Hey, it's great that today is Pentecost Sunday. Because this is what's possible in the spirit. God can redeem your past disobedience and make it into a future blessing to others. I'm not saying your past disobedience was good, but with God, he can redeem the worst of you and your story. And with the spirit, can become a future blessing, not just to you, but to others, even those that you've hurt. I'm going to tell you a story. Back in Los Angeles at my prior church, it was a very diverse church, I used to mentor drug addicts um, who had come to Christ. They were part of my church, and so I'd spend time with them. We'd pray uh, to see how God might grow them. And now these former addicts who are now Christians are growing so much that they are bringing their story of transformation back to the very places and the very people where they experienced and brought on so much brokenness because of sin. Isn't that an amazing story? God can redeem your life, redeem the broken parts of your life. With Jesus, transformation is possible because redemption in him is real and none other but him. In verse 4, It says, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Isn't that an interesting word, hurled? In fact, I don't usually use that word a whole lot. The only time growing up I used that word reminds me of my days at UCLA in the dorms when a few other of my classmates might be drinking a little bit too much of certain beverages, and it would result in hurling, right? Please don't do that on my couch. Please go to the bathroom. Now, Jonah is called to go preach to a great city. That's Jonah 3. But first, he is hurled by a great wind in Jonah 1. I love the juxtaposition that the author uses purposely. Now, this great wind reminded me, I actually went on a jog last uh, Thursday with a friend. And as we were jogging in Point Lobos, this area close to our church, it was probably the windiest day you could choose to run. And so my normal five-minute mile turned into about a 20-minute mile, right? And so it probably was the wind that slowed me down. Five-minute mile, I'm kidding. I'm nowhere near that. So, but it probably the wind, because I have such a large frame, that the wind was holding me back from my destination. And that's why my 20-minute miles show on my Apple Watch instead of five-minute miles. 
Now, I could not help but think of this story. I literally was thinking of Jonah and this storm. God hurls a great wind like an athlete would hurl a javelin with accuracy. That is the same word used for athletes hurling a javelin. God is targeting Jonah. Let me ask you this. Do you know that as one of God's beloved kids, that God has a loving target on you? He has every intention for your life to experience goodness and graciousness. I didn't say safety, by the way. I didn't say comfort. I said goodness and his graciousness. That God is targeting Jonah in a good way. Because if you're God's beloved kid, then he comes after you in love. And that's exactly what God does to Jonah. And see, God's sovereign ability to impose his will is on full display in the story. Take a read of this very short story. You can see that God does not need your permission to interrupt your life. Can you imagine God in heaven kind of laughing at us? And we say, God, you have no business being in my life. He's like, I have a few reasons why I'm allowed to interrupt your life, by the way. Jonah's life gets interrupted by God, his creator, the one who loves him. You see, that means God does not need our permission. And the amazing thing is that God gives us any, any free will, in fact. God gives humans incredible ability to make choices daily. But don't mistake God's loving generosity as a license to cage him from being able to sovereignly direct your life. See, God is more than welcome to interrupt the life that he gave you. Every day you're alive. It's a gift from God. He doesn't owe you anything. Every day is a gift. That's his sovereign will. See, God, Jonah's got these great plans that run away, and they're hindered by a great God who will have his way, because he's got a great plan for Jonah. You see, every time God disciplines, he does it out of your best interest that aligns with his glory. Somehow in the mystery of God's sovereign will and your free will, God is seeking your concurrence with his plan. Let me tell you, he doesn't need to seek your concurrence, but he does. I don't know why. His sovereign will and your free will, he's inviting you into joining him on this wonderful, exciting mission to reveal his goodness on this earth. The Lord of the universe, who doesn't need your permission, is inviting you to join him on his mission. Will you, let me ask you, run away from him or run towards him? You have a choice every day. See, the scripture says that God hurled the wind. It was God who did it in this case. God sent the wind. God sent this storm for the disobedient, sinful Jonah. But let me tell you what the Bible isn't saying. The Bible isn't saying that God is the author of every storm of the Bible. It's not. That God is not the author of every storm in your life. Not every bad thing in your life is a result of God sending a storm. And in fact, not every bad thing in your life is even a result of your personal sin. Let me give you an example. In John 9, Jesus tells a story. And it says this, that Jesus saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now let's time out. Pause for a second. 
These are Jesus's top students. These are the disciples. These are the people who will build the church, right? And they think the Bible says that people who are experiencing medical sickness must have deserved it from a sin that they committed or a sin from their parents. Amazing. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was common Jewish thought to assume bad things happen primarily as a punishment from God because of sin. Now, I'm going to say a little bit about that later, but I wanted to let you know that Jesus says later, he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So there's a couple things here. Not every storm in your life is a result of God sending a storm because of your sin. Some are, but not everyone. Secondly, in the midst of these storms, God is able to take something broken and use it for his glory. Something terrible. He can use it as you invite the Spirit in. See, the Bible isn't saying that every pain you're going through must be be directly from God in some way, like some kind of cosmic punishment from the school principal. Forgive me, school principals sitting in the room today. See, the pain of the world can come directly from evil forces. The Bible talks about demons. Jesus casts out demons. Demons have limited power, but they are real. But, The pain of the world can also come simply from the fallenness of this world, ushered in by Satan, yes, in Genesis 3. You look at Genesis 3, you think of the outcomes of the disobedience of the first humans because of listening to the serpent, the toil of work, the enmity between humans, death itself, all part of this fallen world initiated by the entrance of sin in our world. Now, here's the thing. In the future, there are renewed heavens and the renewed earth, which will be somehow miraculously on this earth renewed. I don't get exactly how it'll be, but somehow it's it's what we see now, but a million times better, this renewed heaven and earth. And on this new renewed heaven and earth, I have a feeling that there'll be no more brokenness like earthquakes happening or pandemics or racism or human trafficking We won't need to shelter in place. And I'm sorry, insurance salespeople, you won't need any more insurance plans. I don't need fire insurance anymore in this next world. I don't need insurance plans for anything. I don't need passwords on my iPhones anymore. Isn't this great? In this next world to come, none of it will be needed. See, this world we live in now is a fallen world. And storms come in all forms. And much of it because... God, for in his wisdom, has not yet chosen to fully rein in the enemies that he has defeated. For whatever reason, he has not fully reined in yet sin, death, devil. Not fully reined in because we still experience the effects of sin and brokenness. And in the midst of that, we see that humanity's own choices have consequences that are not directly sent by God. Our sins have consequences. And so in this story, yes, God did send this storm to a sinning Jonah. The Bible isn't saying that every one of your sins will result in God sending a storm, or that even every storm is even a result of your sin. 
We just don't know. In fact, most sins result in storms that aren't even really evident. I'll talk about that in a minute. Take a look at verse 4 again. Text says that there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, here's the thing. Wouldn't it actually be great if God would send a storm every time you wanted to sin? Think about it. Wouldn't it be helpful right before you're about to like mouth off to your spouse, right? That right when you're about to say it, God does this Holy Spirit glue. Man, that would save me a lot of grief. Wouldn't it be great if the Holy Spirit inspired glue on my mouth before I said something I would regret? That would be awesome. Or imagine you're at the convenience store and after a a long era of not smoking cigarettes because you swore off them, that right before you you give in and buy that pack of cigarettes from the 7-Eleven, the sprinklers go off and you can't complete the transaction. Wouldn't that be helpful to have a God who would help you avoid sin. Wouldn't it be helpful in your discipleship to have a sin intervention system? I've already created this. It's going to be called the SIS. A sin intervention system that prevents me from sinning. Wouldn't that be awesome? But that's not how God usually works. He allows us to make our own choices, to obey him or to run away. Somehow in the sovereignty of God, He permits us to make mistakes. So what does the Bible say, though? So we know that not every storm is directly from God, and we know that not every storm is a result of our sin, but we know that some of our sins result from a storm and result in a storm, and some of our sins do result in God sending something to discipline us. But we know this, at the, the totality of the Bible points to that, yes, every sin does result in some kind of storm. There's a cost to our sin. And so whether God sends the storm or you brought the storm upon yourself, every sin does result in brokenness, in problems. So Jonah sinned by running away from God, and he was paying for it with the storm. See, your sin might result in broken relationships, might result in your own insecurity, your own self-absorption, but it doesn't mean that God, that he didn't send those storms. It may be your own choices that brought these storms. And guess what? Your own choices to sin actually affect other people. In verse 4, again, it says that the storm was so great that the ship threatened to break up. You see, Jonah's actions brought consequences not only to himself, but the entire group of people around him. Wouldn't it have been convenient if God sent like a super specific storm that just rained on Jonah? But no, the whole ship, the entire sea was all affected by Jonah's disobedience. Now you might say, well, Pat Tim, that's not fair, right? That's not my fault. Well, guess what? Life isn't fair. All kinds of people's brokenness and sin affect you negatively every day. Sin has a cost beyond just the sinner. The ship was in danger, as were all the crew members with him. Sin affects not only the individual. Sin emanates out. It hurts both the complicit one and the innocent. When the alcoholic drinks, we know the damage is not only done to the individual, but the entire system that the alcoholic is connected to, right? We get that. 
You cannot just contain the sin to the one who is complicit. The innocent get hurt. Every relationship is affected by the effects of an individual sin. In verse 4, again, notice it says, He paid the fare and he went down into it, the ship, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. See, Jonah is going to Tarshish, and he was not only avoiding Nineveh, but he was avoiding God himself. He didn't want to have anything to do with him. See, in this period, it was rare for a prophet of God to hear from Yahweh outside of the actual physical bounds of Israel. And so what Jonah is doing, he's attempting to flee to a place where he knows is outside of Israel, where he knows there's not other followers of Yahweh, hoping that this would ensure that God's word would not come to him again. You get this? This is almost comical, what Jonah is doing. He's trying to run away from God. Now, if Jonah stayed in Israel, he could expect to hear more from Yahweh. But if he left, he might not hear anything further. So he goes to Joppa and books a ship to get thousands of miles away from potentially hearing from God. Now, I don't know if any of you have, or all of you have raised kids, but you remember there's that season where there's a terrible, terrible threes, or really the terrible twos, or the terrible teens, it, terrible every time, right? Right? Kid maybe disobeys, it's something against the rules. Imagine your seven-year-old at home, and they're disobeying, you're scolding them, there's some kind of punishment, you're trying to tell them why the decision they made wasn't the best decision. And imagine this, whatever age, you're going, la, 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 I can't hear you, la, 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 I'm not listening. You ever seen that happen on the playground in your home? Grayson, if you're listening, do not do what I'm telling you right here. So, right, la, 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 I can't hear you. Have you ever put your hands over your ears? Said, God, I don't think I like what you're saying. I don't like this. Lord, Lord, I don't want to help that person who deserves the pain they're going through. I know that story pretty well. God, they don't deserve it. You ever put your hands over your ears and say, God, stop bugging me about that relationship that needs repair? I I know. Stop, stop bugging me about tithing because you know I don't want to change my spending habits. God, come on, Lord. La, 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 I can't hear you. You ever do that to God with an error of your life that you just don't want to hand over to him? Well, that's what Jonah did. Jonah runs away, puts the hands over his ears. You just don't want to bother hearing what God might say about living with your girlfriend, about how to run your business. You just don't want to hear it. Jonah wasn't just fleeing the call to go to Nineveh. He was fleeing the Lord's presence, hand over his ears. But God uses the storm, graciously, I might say, to get his attention because God doesn't want Jonah to miss out on this incredible mission that God is setting out for him. Jonah is fleeing God and God is lovingly pursuing even when the hands are over your ears. There's a movie coming out next week called Blue Miracle. It's on Netflix. A friend of mine produced it and it told me the story. It's a story of a local boys' orphanage called Casa Hogar, and it's on the verge of closing. And the orphanage director, he turns to a local fishing tournament with the hopes of a miracle. Uh, Hurricane Odile had just come and destroyed the orphanage. 
And he figures if we can enter this contest, maybe it'll save the orphanage. There's only one small problem. He nor any of his 42 orphans have ever fished in their entire lives. And so they team up with a reluctant captain. It's a true story. His name is Wade Malloy. It's played by Dennis Quaid. And he's hoping he can steer them to victory. Now, the 42 orphans had one week's worth of food left. When God guides them in this tournament, they get the winning fish. They save the orphanage. And miracles of miracles, their faith in God and many other people's faith in God, it grows. Now, here's the thing. When that storm flooded the home, one of the orphans said, I wonder if God is just playing a cruel joke on us. Here we are, orphaned, and now he destroys the only home we know. And then after they won, miracle of miracles, they and others could see that God had a different plan. God had a different plan with the storm. And my friend who knows the story well, he says, you know, he wants people to remember that God always cares for orphans, first of all, that God cares for all who cry out to him in the midst of the storm. I don't know why you're going through a storm. I don't know if God sent it. I don't know if it's your own sin that brought it. I have no idea. But God cares about your storm. See, the one who sent the storm in Jonah's story is the same one who would take on the ultimate storm. Because perhaps it bothers you all this talk about storms. Bothers you that God sent the storm, or, or at least that God allowed the storm. If God was a good God, He wouldn't allow pain or loss or cancer or disappointment. I get that's a reasonable question. The only thing I want to point out before we wrap up is that we need to know we serve a God who Himself was willing to take on the storm for us. I want you to listen to this scripture, maybe as you haven't listened to it before. But we have a God who, yes, allows the storm, sometimes even sends the storms, but we have a God who's willing to take on the ultimate storm. Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus faced the ultimate storm on the cross so that you and I would not have to. That's the God we serve. Isaiah goes on to say in verse 11 about the Messiah, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus says, I will take on the ultimate storm so that you would never have to. That's the God we serve. The Bible says that not only did Jesus take on our sin through the storm of the cross, but that he actually became sin for us so that we, so that you could become righteous. He gifts you his righteousness as he takes on the storm of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so before we point fingers at God for all the storms in our lives, first of all, God can handle it if you point fingers at him. But before you do it, keep in mind that Jesus himself took on the storm of the wrath of God 
caused by sin and death. That Jesus himself took our place so that we could experience the victory of Christ, life eternal with the one who ultimately calmed the storm. He succumbed to it so that you would not have experienced the eternal consequences of the storm of death and sin and brokenness. See, God, we can see, brings a storm sometimes out of love, and he's willing to take on the same storm himself. Pastor Tim Keller shares this fairy tale. It's about a wicked witch who lived in a remote cottage in the deep forest. And when travelers came looking for lodging, she offered them a meal and a bed. And it was the most wonderfully comfortable bed any of them have ever felt. But it was a bed full of dark magic. And if you were asleep in this bed, when the sun came up, you would be turned to stone. And then you became a figure in the witch's garden trapped until the end of time. And this witch also forced a young girl to serve her. And though she had no power to resist the witch, the girl had become more and more filled with pity for all of the victims of the witch. And one day a young man came looking for lodging and he was taken in and the servant girl could not bear to see him turn to stone. And so she threw sticks and she threw stones and she put thistles on the bed. And it made the bed horribly uncomfortable, as you can imagine. Every time uh, the, the traveler turned in the bed, he felt a new painful object under him, and he slept poorly that night. And he finally rose, feeling weary and worn long before dawn, long before the sun came up, he woke up. And as he walked out the front door, tired, the servant girl met him, and he berated her cruelly. How could you give a traveler such a terrible bed full of sticks and stones? And he shouted at her and he went on his way. Ah, she said under her breath, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinitely greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. Those were my sticks and stones of love. God sent Jonah some sticks and stones of love. It's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Friends, I don't know, but maybe God has sent you a storm out of love for you to wake you up and turn you around. Or maybe you're just a, a victim of a storm. But God allowed it still. You have a choice. You have a choice. Will you trust the Lord with that storm? Will you trust the one who took on the ultimate storm himself, that he's worthy to listen to, worthy to follow? Your very real storm has very real pain. And whatever reason for it, whether by your own complicity towards sin or you're an innocent bystander to the storm, will you trust him to show you his love and care in the midst of it, that he's worthy to worship, that Jesus the one who took the cross is worthy of you following. The one who gifts you the Holy Spirit is worthy of worship. Let's pray. Lord, we don't understand why storms in our life, and for some of us, it is because of our own sin, our own choices. We've run away from you. We've run away from obeying you. And so, Lord, may we see a storm as an opportunity to repent and turn back to you. And Lord, I want to pray for those who've experienced storms, not because of their own sin, but because maybe of sin in the world, some brokenness, Lord, that has affected them greatly. Lord, I pray you would comfort them. You bring them healing. I pray for those who are bitter, 
those who are confused, I pray, Lord, as they talk with you, they would know you can handle whatever we have to give out. And as we pour out our hearts, Lord, honestly to you, that you would help us to see your sovereign goodness, that we don't understand your ways. We don't understand the hurts in this world, but we understand that you came to end the reign of sin, to end the reign of death, to end the reign of the devil. And even though they're not fully reigned in yet, that we can see and experience that we know that you have won, that one day you will come back and make all things new. No more storms, only peace. Oh Lord, may you come soon. Give us patience, give us faith as we wait. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.